Good afternoon. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here again. Um, the Torah describes, of course, three of old. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And although the Torah doesn't, in Sefer Breshit, actually describe them as avot as such, uh, we know from other psukim later on um, that uh, all three are considered quote-unquote avot. Uh, take the most obvious pasuk, we mentioned it in tefillah often, v'zachartit b'ti Yaakov, v'avet b'ti Yitzchak, v'avet b'ti Avraham is score, v'aretz is score. So therefore when the Torah itself wants to mention z'chut avot, so it talks about uh, three, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And of course, throughout Sefer Breshit, Yaakov summons the Shut of Yitzchak as well as Avraham, and so on and so forth. Therefore, even though Yitzchak is relatively speaking much less, uh, takes up much less space uh, in the narrative of Sefer Breshit, nevertheless, he clearly is of equal stature with Avraham, um, and Yaakov, and uh, Chazal, of course, uh, made this quite clear, both in Tefillah, and uh, in taking another quote, the Gemara tells us in Masech al-Brachot, Ein korin avot, elo you, you can designate as an av, only three people. So, the Gemara says that to exclude others, such as David HaMelech or Yosef, who are not considered avot, but nevertheless, we can also learn from that that Yitzchak, of course, is considered an av. And uh, that in a sense raises the obvious question, um, aside from the fact that he is Avraham's son and Yaakov's father, do we view him, uh, how exactly do we view Yitzchak in terms of his place in the development of the scheme of the Avot? Uh, but Mendelssohn was famously said that he was, but the middle Mendelssohn that is, that he was the son of Moshe and the father of Felix. Uh, and he was half his life known as the son of, and the other half known as the father of. Uh, and the question, of course, is, well, what is Yitzchak? Uh, is he only the son of Abraham and the father of Yaakov? Or what is his chut? What exactly is his achievement that uh, grants him the stature of being an Av as well? To uh, do that, of course, we have to uh, analyze the one parak in which his major impact is made. That, of course, Breshit Perik Chavav. If we go to uh, chapter 26 in Breshit, Yitzchak, of course, appears on the stage earlier, but uh, either indeed as Avram's baby, when, Av- when Sarah and Hagar and Yishmael and Avraham um, have the, had the event of exp- uh, expelling uh, Yishmael, and uh, we, of course, know that Rivka is in Akaran, Rivka can't give birth, and uh, she has twins, and Yaakov and Esav are born, However, uh, the actual events of Yitzchak's life really begin in Perik Chavav. I'm, I'm reading it from the beginning of the Perik. Uh, if you have the Tanakh, Vahir Av Ba'aretz, Milvad, Harav HaVishon HaShabi Me'Avraham. There's a famine in Eretz Yisrael, aside from that which was in the time of Avraham. Vayelech Yitzchak, Yitzchak goes south to Grar, to the area of the Pelishtim, somewhere between Ashkelon and Beersheva. And um, he sells down over there. Because Rahu comes and tells him not to go to Egypt. Um, and um, he stays in Eretz Plishtim. I'm skipping now a bit um, to Pasuk Hei. Hey. 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 Hey.
We have here, of course, is Yitzchak is following literally and figuratively in Avram's footsteps. There's a famine. He doesn't know what to do. What does he do? He goes, checks. What, is, what did my father do? It's the moment he wants to figure out a course of action. The obvious course which exists, which suggests itself to him is, I'll do exactly like my father did. And if we look out the Perek, time and time and time again, the memory of Avram is summoned to explain the actions of Yitzchak. This is, the Pasuk tells us, this is an aside from the Rahab of Avraham. Essentially, the information is superfluous. We don't really, we don't really need to know that he was a Ra'av once upon a time. What's important for the story is that Yitzchak encounters Ra'av. He goes south. In the south, he gets into trouble with the Plishtim. And the whole drama of his relationship with the Plishtim plays itself out. Why do we have to be told that this is in addition to the previous one? Obviously, trying to create, to connect the dots between Yitzchak and Avraham and to create a continuity between the events of Yitzchak's life and those of Avraham's. Uh, then Yitzchak is told um, that Kosh will bless him and grant him all the brachot that he gave to Avraham. Well, he gave to Avraham, but because of Avraham, Yitzchak will be granted all these benefits because of Avraham's zchut. And if I skip further down... Um, To pasuk yudchet, for instance, vayashov yitzchak vayachpor berot hamayim. Yitzchak goes and he redigs the wells. Asher chafir Avraham aviv. He goes and redigs the wells that Avraham dug. Very differently, we can see the pattern which clearly emerges here, and uh, the sheet is a giveaway. Uh, is that everything that uh, happens to Yitzchak happens to Avraham? I should actually say. Nothing happens to Yitzchak, hasn't happened to Avraham. It's almost a carbon copy of Avraham's life. Uh, if you look at the sheet, let's just go through the main events of the narrative here. If you have Avraham, right? This is Perkid Gimel Bereshit. Avraham, there's, uh, there's a famine by Avraham. He goes down to Egypt. So go to Yitzchak. It's a verbatim quote. The second Ra'av has to be viewed in connection with the first one. Kashbarhu appears to him, he, he reveals that the Yitzhak and tells him, Don't go to Egypt. Meaning Yitzhak's plan, of course, was to go to Egypt. In other words, it's clear to us that why? Because Avram went to Egypt. Yitzhak is planning to do the same thing. The reason he's not doing it is only because Kashbrach intervenes and tells him not to. But clearly his plan was to go to Egypt the same way Avraham had gone. Now, so what's, what's second best? To go not to Avraham went the first time, to go where Avraham went the second time. Because the second time that Avraham goes south, he doesn't go all the way to Egypt, he stops in Gerar. So by Avraham, Avraham actually, it's a decision, he doesn't go because of external circumstances, at least not those that we are told about. But in Perik Chaf, it says, Vaisa Misham Avraham Negev. Avraham decides to go south. Vayeshev and Kadesh Uben Shur. Vegabigrar. He positions himself in Grar between Kadesh and Shur. In other words, in the south near the desert. Yitzchak, since he can't go to Egypt, because Kashmir doesn't let him, so he goes to Grar. Vayelech Yitzchak, Mechach Pushtim Gerara. Avraham lived in Grar. 
by the Plishtim, so too does Yitzchak. And if we, uh, if you see here the Pesuk later on, Vayeshev Yitzchak Bigrar. Basically, Yitzchak goes and settles down exactly in the place where his father had lived before him. Now we move on in Perik Havav. These are the first two Pesukim. Because Baruch says to him, Gur Baritz, I'm in Pesuk Gimel now, Gur Baritz Hazot, Vayeh Imcha, and here it's number three on the, on the sheet, Vayeh Imcha Barachekha, because I will grant to you and to your descendants all these lands. Um, this will fulfill the Shvua, the oath that Avram Avinu was given by Kadesh Baruch Hu. Kadesh Baruch Hu guaranteed to Avram. Yitzchak gets the exact same guarantee. It's, re- it's repeated to Yitzchak. And the language, of course, is very similar. If you look here on in, in, in the right-hand side... Uh, and there, by Avram, there are few such psukim, but in all of them, uh, at three different times, Avram has promised the land, but all these promises are very similar, and Yitzchak is receiving the same promise, Kasher Nishbat Avram Avicha. Move on to the continuation of the narrative in Perik Chavav. Because Rachel tells us, not only will you be granted Eretz Israel, but I will also multiply, multiply your descendants. To go back to Avraham. In Brit Benabitarim, of course, Avraham is taken outside and told to look at all the stars. Look at all these stars. Once more, the exact same promise. You will have descendants like the, sky, like the stars in the sky. Avram has promised this. Yitzchak repeats the same promise as well. Continue here. So we've gone ready. We're now in Perik Chavav in Pasuk Dalid. And there are four parallels between Avraham and Yitzchak. Um, we go to Pasuk Hay, which I quoted before. The reason this is because of Avram's Zichut. So there's no parallel Pasuk, of course, by Avraham. But what we do know is that Avraham here is meant, this is already the third mention of Avraham in these, in these five psukim. In five psukim, Avraham is mentioned by name already three times. Uh, and of course, I forgot to mention them before, before, that when it says by Yitzchak, Vidbarchu bezarachak kol gei haaretz, reminds us, of course, of Avraham Avinu, Vavarcham mevarcheka. In other words, whoever is close to you and whoever is, you will be able to bless those who are in your, those who are attached themselves to you. In other words, everything here is set forth. Within four psuk, five psukim, Avram is mentioned three times. The, the languages, uh, the parallels repeat themselves four or five times as well. Which we already saw before. Now, not is the language similar, but also the events become very familiar. So Yitzchak lives in Grar. And they begin to inquire about his wife. So Yitzhak, now Yitzhak realizes that he's in a delicate position. He's a stranger. He's an outsider. He also presumably is a small group of people, much less than all the plishtim. There he is, exposed, vulnerable in Eretz plishtim. And they begin to ask about his wife. So he realizes that he's in trouble. So what's the solution? You see, once more, he looks back into the crystal ball. What did Avram do? Avraham Serachotihi. 
So Yitzchak says this as well. Matter of fact, Avram, if you remember, Avram justified it at some point because she indeed was his sister, uh, which is more difficult to say over here. It's true that she is a relative and uh, a relative can be termed ach in the broader sense uh, and achot. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Yitzchak here, he repeats step by step the formula that Avram already devised. Uh, and of course, we look here again, right? Now, with one difference, that Avimelech took Sarah, and over there, by Yitzhak they don't. We'll talk about that later on. I, th- I think it is significant. Um, but anyway, at this stage, Yitzhak repeats the same trick that Abraham used before. Um, and why does he justify this? Out of fear that they will kill Yitzhak and then uh, take uh, Rivka for themselves. Um, of course, the justification, not, not only the trick, but also the justification, is also by Avram. Avram said to uh, Avimelech, and this is in number six in the sheet here, Vayomer Avimelech, Avram married to Kisra Azem, Vayomer Avraham, at the end of number six here, Ki Amarti Yaken Yirati Lokim Okom Azem, Vagud Vaishti, there's no Yirat Shamayim, there's no fear of God over here, and I, I fear that they would kill me. In other words, this too already is Avraham's, the idea is very Avraham's idea. Yitzhak once more repeats it. Now, to continue here, not only does Yitzhak tell everyone that Achotihi, not only does he claim that she's his sister, but also the same scenario plays itself out. Uh, Yitzhak and Avimelech have an encounter. In this case, not because she was taken to Avimelech's palace, because Avimelech discovers that Rivka is indeed Yitzhak's wife. And that's the one difference. So before we'll discuss that later on, believe So Avimelech comes and is all upset with Yitzchak and he points out that Yitzchak is basically deceiving him. <coughs> Asks Avimelech the Tavraham. Go, let's go back here to number six, the top of number six. Vaikra Avimelech Avraham. Now go to the left hand side. It's the exact same formula, exact same language. What I do is in the blank, instead of Avraham, write Yitzchak, and you get the puzzle that you need. Um, okay, by Avraham, not to go back to Avraham, here he says, Avraham says, Then, Okay, now let's continue. So both of them justify this out of fear. Let's now continue in the Pesukim. Pesuk Yud in Perek Chavav. V'yema v'imelech mazot asit alanu kimat shachav echad amet shachav v'etelenu asham. This is number, once more number six. Avimelech accuses Yitzchak of almost causing uh, a big sin inadvertently because they were unaware. Avimelech, number one, had made the same claim to Avraham. Um, the dialogue repeats itself step by step. Avimelech says A, Avram says A1, Avimelech says B, Yitzchak says B1, and so on and so forth. How come Avimelech, even if it's one and two, was not suspicious of the system? I'm not sure. Maybe he was. Maybe that's why he discovered it. Uh, it's not clear. In other words, it says that, uh, that he looked through the window and uh, you wonder, was it really... I mean. Was the window so exposed, or maybe he was really spying? In, uh, in other words, 
he was maybe he was spying in a bit more sophisticated way. He may have been suspicious. Um, I'm not sure. I, I suspect that he probably was a bit more suspicious, and uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not 100% certain. Uh, now let's continue in the pasuk pasukidalif. Once we're the same way by Avraham, Avimelech there also warns the people to steer clear of Sarah. Okay, now I'm skipping here a bit. It describes Yitzchak's wealth and his prosperity. Um, we know that by Avraham, but under slightly different circumstances, and we'll get back to this uh, later. Blineder. Now moving on to the story of Beirut. If pasuk is in Perikavav pasuk, you'd pasuk you'd chet. The Torah described tells us that Avraham had engaged in a project of well digging. We're in the Negev, right? The Negev is Minugav. The Negev is white, uh, dry of water. Therefore, you always have a problem of water, particularly in the Negev. So Avraham dug wells to provide himself a water supply over there in the Negev. The plishtim, sitmum plishtim, as they filled them up with dirt, that the well should be inactive. So now, they basically erased Avraham's, uh, water enterprise, so to speak. Yitzchakam, pasuk yudchet, vayashav yitzchak, vayachpor, dirt hamayim, ashechafu, yimei Avraham aviv, vayasatmum plishtim. Yitzchakam's, and digs the wells anew, he, be, he basically reestablishes Avraham's, what Avraham did, the waterworks of Avraham, Yitzchak now reestablishes, um, uh, I would add also that uh, the Ramban here is very disturbed. Uh, why does the Torah pay so much attention to water? And why does the Torah so give so much uh, attention to the wells? Uh, the Ramban thinks that they get more, too much uh, space than they're deserving of the actual, uh, their actual importance. Therefore, the Ramban claims that they're symbolic. That the wells are spirituality, Torah, whatever. They were to put, to put like this. Ramban's claim here is that this parasha, the symbolism is the pshat. In other words, you can always interpret the Torah symbolically, but normally in the level of drash. Ramban's claim here is that because, according to the pshat, it makes no sense to talk so much about the wells. So the pshat, in other words, the pshat, pshat is unreasonable. And because it's unreasonable, so the symbolism becomes the, the real, if not the deeper pshat in the, excuse the pun. But at any rate, uh, the, the wells, Certainly mean, according to Ramban, a huge amount. And Yitzhak therefore repeats Avram's spiritual enterprise as well. But at the very least, let's just say that he, he certainly is following Avram's footsteps clearly. Um, he names them with the same names. There's a conscious effort to go in Avram's footsteps. Yitzhak is not doing this only because he has no better ideas. And Yitzhak is not doing this because before he ran out of ideas and he doesn't know what to do and uh, he's helpless, so he all he can do is copy what was done before. It's a conscious effort to follow Avram's footsteps. The naming of the Beirot is basically, and the reason the Torah emphasizes is to tell us this is a policy which is thought out and which Yitzhak actively engages in because he thinks it's important, not because before he can't, he doesn't know what to do. Now, uh, once more, we have another three psukim, Tedvav, Tedzayin, Yudzayin, and Yudchet, four psukim, which Avram's name is mentioned, again, another uh, three times. Because we have here this massive um, focus upon Avram, 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 etc. 
Now let's continue. Pasuk Chavet. Vayateke Misham. He moves, right? He's Matike. He, he moves himself from one place to another. The phrase Vayateke appears only by, only by Avraham. Uh, if you remember in the beginning of Perkut Bet in Bereshit, and it's here. Vayateke Misham Hahara. So Avraham is Matik, Yitzchak is Matik, and Vayeto Allah also. It's a relatively weird phrase in the Torah. Here too, Vayatek Mishama, Ha'ar Mikel Beitel Vayeto Halo, Vayatek Misham. Now notice here in source number 8, by Avram it says, Vayiven Sham Mizbeach, Ha'ashon Yerav, Vayitzchak, Vayiven Sham Mizbeach, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem, Vayet Shem Halo. Here what's with the exact same paradigm, he builds a Mizbeach, he, uh, he pitches his tent, everything is, uh, as before, repeating itself time and time and time again. And then we have, of course, the conclusion, um, I'm here on to, uh, <clears throat> okay, no, before that, excuse me, we have here, uh, it's number seven over here, in Pasuk Chavdalet, uh, Vayera, or let's start from Chavgimel, Vayar Misham Be'er this, of course, reminds us most of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, before he goes to Egypt, so in, in Beersheva, because Baruch reveals himself to Yaakov in the beginning of Perkman Vav, he reveals himself to Yaakov in, um, in, in, in a nightly vision, in, in, in nocturnal vision, and he tells him also, Al-Tirah, don't, don't be afraid, don't, don't fear the future. Uh, there right over here, let's stick to Avram and nevertheless our purposes. Because reveals himself to Yitzchak that evening. Once Avram appears here, don't worry, I will protect you. I watch over you and your descendants because of Avraham. Now, once more, if you remember, read Ben Habitarim. So it happens also in the evening. The Torah doesn't say Laila. And, but however, the Torah does describe two things. That Avram is told to step outside and to stare, to stare at the stars. So obviously it's happening when the stars are uh, visible. Number two, it says there that uh, the sun was the sunset. In other words, it's at sunset. The sun sets and Avram then, he's able to see the, the Kochavim. So here it's apparently a bit later in the evening, um, but the basic theme that there's this <coughs> vision, not during the day, but at the end of the day, in the, in the evening slash night, in which, uh, because Rahul says, Al-Tira, right? Al-Tira Avram, Al-Tira, Anochi Oke Avram Abicha, Al-Tira Ki Itcha Anochi. So we of course all know about Al-Tira Avdi Yaakov, but, uh, there's also Al-Tira Avraham, Al-Tira Yitzchak, and in both cases, He's promised that he, I didn't put it down over here, but if you took him down and be done Tarim, Avram has promised, of course, that he'll have children as well. In other words, because Rachel promises to grant him children, to watch over them, and do the same thing, Altira. And now in the concluding scene of Yitzchak's life here, besides for the Brachot later on, in the concluding scene, so we go back to Avimelech and Yitzchak, <clears throat> of course, we all remember the Pesukim from Rosh Hashanah. We meet them every year. We, we bump it to Avimelech and Fichol every year on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. 
And here too, by Yitzchak, and you have it here in the sheet, of course. Number nine, and um, now by Yitzchak, he says to them, "Why do you come and approach me? Like what?" So the answer is, "We see Kadosh Baruch Hu is blessing you, and Kadosh Baruch Hu is providing you all His bounty, and we want our share, and uh, we want to be in your good, uh, in, your, in your good graces." And by Abraham, what did what did he say to Abraham? In both cases, Avimelech, Fichol, they, they noticed the prosperity of Avraham and Yitzchak. They correctly identify it as a function of their righteousness, of the Tzidkut. And therefore they come and approach Avraham and Yitzchak and request uh, some kind of uh, covenant, uh, pact, uh, in order to be, uh, to benefit from this as well. <coughs> now, um, Notice here also Yitzchak basically rebukes them a bit, not a bit. Yitzchak actually rebukes them quite quite sharply. Why did you come despite your hatred? And we'll get back to this later on. Avram is more gentle, but nevertheless, Avram also utilizes this the situation in which the plishti. Now the tables have been turned. Up to this point, the pli, they need the plishti. Now they Avimelech and Fichol. I'm making requests from Avram, so he utilizes the opportunity. Avram also expresses his displeasure with the behavior of the of the Avimelech, and the Seder he wants. Avimelech gives his teirutz over there, which is quite a teirutz. The same is true by um, now by Yitzchak. They don't have much to say, so all they say is, "Well, we know that you're you're very successful. Nevertheless, we want to be in your good graces," and um, they continue. And then we have, of course, after the, the initial approach, the actual ceremony in which uh, by Avraham, to make a covenant, and uh, then Avraham puts the seven animals on the side, and he names the city Beersheva. But Yitzchak as well, they make some kind of uh, feast or whatever, and they then take an oath, same way it says over here, okay, and then we're told as follows, so we have here also, once more, we have some kind of ceremony, feast, uh, we have an oath, we have a covenant by Abraham, and we have the naming of Beersheba. Now, if you take all of this together, um, I put here ten, uh, ten boxes, but really some of them have two or three, two, three or four uh, parallels. Abraham himself is mentioned eight, nine, ten times uh, throughout the parak. Uh, it's, uh, the problem here is, uh, it's like this, it's over-obvious. You know, it's not, there's no subtlety whatsoever which is needed here to pick up on the fact that Yitzhak is following Avram's footsteps. Uh, it's not like uh, there's a very subtle hints and uh, language which is uh, very, very... You have to read between the lines very carefully and then you, you, can, see, you can stand here and give a shi or... Uh, this is basically, all I have to do is just give the sheet and uh, it stares out, like jumps out of the page. It jumps off the page, I say blatantly... Um, 
and uh, you know, it's almost like uh, it's, it's, it's too obvious. Um, it's almost like the Torah is going out of it. Now, I, I would add one thing: this technique which you can find in Tach occasion to give you another good example of this. Being Sefer Yoshua, Yoshua's situation is a bit precarious. Also, Moshe Rabbeinu was the only leader the people ever knew. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, despite the fact that they they kvetched and they complained and they uh, and they constantly bothered Moshe, and Moshe suffered a lot at their hands. Nevertheless, when all is said and done, Moshe loved them. They loved Moshe. And um, when Moshe leaves the scene, they feel helpless. And it's far from evident to them that the fact that Yeshua is his Talmud is good enough to uh, qualify to make him a leader. And his position is very, is, is very precarious. You know, they, they may not... You know, it's, and to add to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's spiritual stature of receiving the Torah, Yeshua is only a dim reflection. Chazal call Yeshua the moon, when Moshe Rabbeinu is the sun. So Yeshua is in a very delicate situation. If you know, if you remember the beginning of Sefer Yeshua in Perak Aleph, he talks to Bnei Gad Bnei Ruvain, and he demands that they fulfill the pact that Moshe Rabbeinu made with them, so they guarantee their loyalty to Yeshua. We will give you our full loyalty. And they say, and the first person Tanakh said that if you don't follow the leader, you can actually be killed because of, um, they're the first ones to mention that you can kill someone who disobeys a king. But they qualify it. But provided that the Kaddish Baruch Hu will grant you the same amount of assistance and, uh, or Seat I should say really, they gave to Moshe Rabbeinu. And there, and it's quite clear that they are not convinced of this. Uh, so therefore, without the first three, four, five, Prakima Yoshua, the Psukim describe all the time how Yoshua duplicates Moshe Rabbeinu. For instance, Moshe Rabbeinu split the, the Red Sea, Yoshua splits the Ardain. Uh, and the Psukim say over there, take one, take the example there, it's per Gimel, if I remember. Yeah, um. so I'll take a uh, yeah, I'll take a in other words, I will make clear that you are just like Moshe Rabbeinu. And then he splits, splits the Ardain. And, um. <clears throat> you're right, and there's, there's, there's a bunch of these. And then it's something that with, 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 with says it explicitly. Um, yeah, here it is. Um. Gim of which, um, no, no, it's, it's a bit more explicit. Okay, if you look at Perk Dalid, Apasuk Yudalid, Bemu Gidashu Yeshua, Benei Kol Yisrael, Vayiru Oto, Kasher Yaru et Moshe, Kol Yemei Chayav, yeah, it's Pasuk Chav Gim of them. For that, Temet Bnei Chem Leimor, 
course, we might be gadol bincha, and remember all the, the pesukim and sefer shemot about telling the story of Tzad Mitzrayim. Vudatemet binchem leimor be'abashavis at herdein hazeh asher hovish Hashem lokichem et me'arden mipnechem because Baruch who dried or split the herdein kasher asher lokichem liyam suf shavishu panein. They do the pesukim go out of their way to be explicit to get the same message across. You'll be just like Moshe, and if anyone basically doesn't know this, I will make it, in other words, we won't lead this to liter- literary analysis or to uh, carefully read the text. We will put this in bold, in, in bold letters. Uh, <coughs> now, the same is true here also. Um, but nevertheless, uh, <coughs> it's, it's very, very, it's, it's, it's very explicit. What's, uh, what do we have over here? So there are two points. Number one, Yitzchak, in a sense, um, uh, let's go back for a moment now to the Pasuk by Beersheva. And um, take a look at, we'll actually we'll focus on two Pasukim. We'll start with the Pasuk, it's Perichavav Pasuk Yudchet, which you have here, um, no. Yitzchak went and he redug the wells that Avraham had dug. What does this mean? And uh, the Medrash makes this uh, explicit. Because it means that Avraham's uh, whole enterprise, and the Medrash talks, and the Medrash says as follows, we tell us, I used to quote this often, that um, all the gay reading that Avram was Megayer, you know, it's all the converts that Avram, all the people Avram convinced to become to become Jews. Avram had this whole uh, whole effort of bringing people close to Kodesh Baruch Hu, of uh, all the persuasion, all the effort, all of the traveling the country back and forth, raising the Mizbachot, all of this, the Medrash says, basically disappeared to thin air. All of the gay reading, Suram, they became idolaters again. Despite the fact that I haven't convinced them, it didn't last. It was a fleeting impression and did not actually last. And uh, if we leave the Mishra to the Pshat, here the Pshat certainly true. The police they were not impressed by Avraham. In other words, Avraham came, he dug the wells, they, bemused, they allowed him to do so. The moment he left, they came and they covered it up again and uh, the wells were no longer operational. Uh, Essentially, all of Avraham's achievements seem to disappear because you know, without the continuity, Avraham was a charismatic individual. Avraham was able to persuade, the Raman describes thousands or tens of thousands of people to follow him. But a charismatic leader, uh, once he leaves the stage, and once he's gone, there is no institutionalized continuation. I'll give you another example of this. In a famous uh, Agadah that, that we all know, so Rebbe Kiva describes having 24,000 Talmidim. He has 24,000 Talmidim from Migvat and Antifres, knows all of the Shvela, the whole area in Yilod or whatever, is fully, he has 24,000, he has a yeshiva with 24,000 students, uh, or, or he has a movement with 24,000 followers. And they all died from Pesach HaDatzeret, they all died between, during Sphira. What happens next? So the Gemara describes, he goes, he relocates down south, he goes to Berchayil, he goes to the south, he takes five Talmidim, and he learns from 24,000, he goes on to five. However, now you can imagine, if you're dealing with five, it's a whole different enterprise. 
you deal with them much more thoroughly, systematically. I'm willing to assume, I'm willing to guarantee or certainly to assume that if you have 24,000 students, you don't know each and every one of them personally, and you certainly don't have time to sit with each one and to guide them and to basically watch them. Basically, you're, it's a mass movement, which you're, basically what you're really doing is staying in a plaza or a stadium and preaching to the masses, but there's no, there's no real personal contact. Uh, when, um, when, he, when Rabbi Kiva goes and takes five Talmudim, he develops them, he becomes disciples. He develops them, he pours into them everything he has, and then Chazal tells us, so one of them established the Mishnah, so he went to Tosefta, and went, and went to Sifra, and went to Sifri. All of Torah was, in, all of Torah was reestablished to those five Talmudim. Let's not forget, the time of Rabbi Kiva, Torah was devastated because of the Barakocha rebellion and all, all the Romans did. He recreates Torah for five people. And, uh, but the reason he does it is because there's not continuity. When you have a mass movement and everyone disappears, either the leader disappears or the students die, there's no, there's no, con- there's no continuity because everything is in the surface. In a sense, it's superficial. And, uh, Avram Avinu being chesed, so he's working like this. Avram is basically spreading himself out. But the lines are thin. And um, see, so he digs the wells, but then he moved on. Because he didn't stay in one place. He's constantly, he's, he's in constant movement. So if you're in constant movement, so for the, future, for the time you're there, it's yours. You leave, it's, you know, it's basically neglected, and uh, either the desert takes it over, the police can take it over, or the animals take it over. <laughs> what Yitzhak is able to provide is continuity, and he's in one place. Yitzhak, unlike Avram, doesn't move, there's, there's much less movement. We'll, we'll talk about the movement, uh, soon. But there's very little movement. And Yitzhak is, he's establishing a presence which is permanent. It's permanent, first because he's second generation. And once you have a second generation, so you're already talking about something which is not fleeting. The whole drama of Yitzhak's uh, Shidduch is exactly this. There was, uh, when the, the Knanim thought that Yitzhak would marry into them and sort of get lost. It was that they would absorb Yitzhak and Avraham, therefore, into, into themselves. The seal came at but they, they'll be absorbed into the Knanim. And when Avraham insists upon marrying outside the Knanim, he insists upon establishing, not his own personal identity, but establishing a, a line which will be non-Knani. He, he wants to perpetuate himself and his descendants not by being absorbed into the Canaanim. He wants to set an independent, uh, independent dynasty, so to speak, or an independent family or, or nation, which doesn't go... Th- and Yitzhak, the whole point of Yitzhak is to create this continuity. You know, it's done by virtue of the fact he's number two, but it's also done because Yitzhak, by his nature, to, you know, Yitzhak is called Gvura, meaning Yitzhak is inward-looking. He withdraws rather than spreads... I'm spreads himself thin... Yitzhak withdraws and then therefore builds uh, a more narrow, uh, he's working a much narrower field, but he's working much deeper. And he goes and he digs the wells and the wells remain operational. Now, this is particularly interesting when you go down to, over here, what's the last source, number 10, when the Psukim by Beersheva, Beersheva is named twice. The first time around, Avram Avinu names it, Kisham Nishbu Shnehem, and then it says by now, if you look there in the Pasuk by Avraham, Al Kain Kral Makuma Be'er Sheva, the place is called Be'er Sheva, Kishan Nishbushnehem. It's called Be'er Sheva, because that's where Avraham and the police took the oath, Shan Nishbushnehem, Be'er Sheva. By Yitzchak, 
This is in Pasuk Chavav at the end. Pasuk Lamed Gimel. Vayikra Ota Shiva. He called this well Shiva. Al Kain Shiva Beersheva. Therefore, the city is called Beersheva. Ad Hayom Hazeh. It's those three words that are crucial. Ad Hayom Hazeh. Until this day. Do we... The reason Beersheva remains Beersheva to this very day is because of Yitzchak. Adam called the Beersheva, but Beseder. Once more, the same way they, the same way they filled in the wells, the same way they covered up uh, his water. They could also eradicate the, the name. They could change the name. They could move on. However, it's Ad Hayom Hazeh because of Yitzchak. Words, the basic quality of Yitzchak is the ability to establish something permanent. Ad Hayom Hazeh. And that's, now therefore his mission, his goal, Adam's goal was to spread the word. Adam's goal was to, to tell people Kashbrach was around, to basically bring Kashbrach down from the heavens into the earth, and to basically wander around the earth Israel, and providing the message, Hashem Hashem Kel Olam. But Yitzchak is now to take the message, institutionalize it, and make it something fixed and permanent. And uh, therefore, he's able to talk Yitzchak, Yitzchak ben Avraham. That's his identity. It's not only able to talk Yitzchak ben Avraham. The psukim don't say able to talk Yitzchak ben Avraham or able to talk Yitzchak. Able to talk Yitzchak, comma Yitzchak ben Avraham. It's as if it's saying this is the story of Yitzchak. Yitzchak is Avraham. That's his story. His story is that Yitzchak is the continues Avraham. And the Medrash, of course, says that everyone who looks at Yitzchak's face recognizes Abraham's uh, physical appearance even. He even looks alike. But the point is, is that Yitzhak is not trying to establish something new. There's no novelty. Rather, he is creating, uh, the, he's, he's laying the framework for Am Yisrael to continue throughout the generations. We are familiar with, nowadays as well, a lot of institutions, you have a charismatic founder, in which, uh, however, once the charismatic founder uh, no longer is around, the institution loses its direction or is, uh, or is never the same anymore. Uh, and, and, and I don't want to mention names, but there are many such institutions. Uh, often, uh, the greatness of the, of, of the, of the second or third uh, generation is not that they change things necessarily, but they establish institutional culture. They establish uh, the fact that the, <coughs> That despite the founders longer being around, the institution continues. It means that that will, that will guarantee its continuity. The fact that it functions independently without the founder as well. This idea of ad hayom hazeh, Yitzchak creates a continuity. This is the first point in a sense. This is Yitzchak's major achievement. To a uh, quick aside, um, I think a few years ago I spoke about the fact. Then Avraham's career, you can also see somewhat of a similar movement. If you notice Lech Lecha versus Vayera, in Paris, Lech Lecha, Avraham is always outward looking. And in Paris, Vayera, he's much more inward looking. And essentially, in Paris, Vayera, almost, almost every episode in Lech Lecha is repeated in Vayera. If you, if you look, if you take the two uh, parashiot and you do a similar exercise with Lech and Vayera, you'll notice that there too, there's a, there's a huge amount of uh, replication. What happens in Lech Lecha is then repeated in uh, Vayera. However, with different conclusions. For example, in Lech Lecha, Avraham saves Sodom. 
there he loses them. In um, in Lech Lecha, Hagar returns. In Vayera, she's expelled. And so on uh, and so forth. And the reason is because already from the moment Yitzchak is born, from the moment of Yitzchak's birth, the moon begins inward, to put it differently, Ki Yitzchak, Ki Kerela Chazara. The continuation of Avraham, what will perpetuate Avraham is Yitzchak. And really Avraham is told to change his focus, and the Avraham of Lech Lecha is no longer the Avraham, or I should actually say, the Avram, without the hay, of Lech Lecha, is not the Avraham of Ayera, which is why Chazal say, Avraham Avram, if you call Avraham Avram, over below that you violate the mitzvah, and the reason is because you treat Avram in the earlier stage of development rather than the later stage. In the later stage, the focus moves in. Nevertheless, and therefore, everything Vayera looks is focused upon the house inward. Um, however, um, all of this just says that Avram changes his focus, but that Yitzchak, uh, however, to I said before, to create the continuity, to establish it, and to firm it up, and to shore it up, you need to transition from the chesed of Avram to the guru of Yitzchak. Yitzchak's withdrawal and retreating inwards is what en- enables him to become the Yitzchak Yikreel Chazara. And Avraham, the, and Avraham is able to be what he, you know, the message is able to get across the generations to a large degree because of Yitzchak. Now, let's move on to the second point. There's one subtle difference between Avraham and Yitzchak, at least it seems to me so, despite all the similarities uh, in their lives. And uh, let's go back for a moment to Perik Havav. Um, Avraham, if you look here in the, in, in, in the first source, Vira, <coughs> excuse me, number two. Avraham chooses to live in Gra. Aaron goes there, not for any particular reason, or not because his circumstances compel him to. He chooses to go live in Gerar. So you can never say exactly why, but he goes to, he goes to Gerar. Now, by Yitzchak, he's stuck over there, because Baruch Hu basically tells him to go over there. What's more significant, though, is the following. Um, by, Av- by Avraham, um, no, let's go on. Excuse me. Before we get to that, let's let's go on to what I said and mentioned before. When Avram shows up in Gerar, so Avimelech takes Sarah. When Yitzchak shows up in Gerar, he doesn't. Yitzchak says Achutihi, and he may be concerned that they have designs upon his wife, but the Psukim never tell us, and Psukim make it clear that's not the case. The case is that Rivka and Yitzchak continue to live together, and that's why Avimelech is able to discover that they're husband and wife. Unlike Avraham, who indeed his wife is removed to the palace. Moreover, Avraham, when he, when, when, when the things work out, Avraham meets Avimelech, and Avimelech gives him a gift at the end. Uh, it's in Perikhaf towards the end of the Perik, uh, if I remember. Um, what's that from you, Dalit? He grants him quite a large gift. All of Eretz Plishtim is here. Choose the best location you want. Wherever you want, you can take the land, wherever you want to live, 
establish yourself, go live, and choose for yourself the prime location. He gives her a large gift as well. The pasuk is a bit difficult, but broadly speaking, he grants her some kind of gift because of the fact that he took her to the palace and he removed her from her home. So he compensates her by Elif Kesef, which seems to be a large sum. By Yitzchak, none of this. So Rivka isn't taken. Of course, he won't give her compensation. But he doesn't give out, Yitzchak doesn't receive anything from Avimelech. Avimelech certainly doesn't give him this offer, live wherever you feel like living here and enjoy yourself, uh, choose the best neighborhood and go live over there. Rather, we're told something totally different. We're told... Um, <coughs> He's very successful. He is extremely successful. And the police don't like him. They're jealous. And we'll see the moment. It's not jealous. It's jealousy. It's translated to hatred. Like Yitzchak says later on, You hate me. This Abraham clearly gets along with the Plishtim. The Plishtim like him. They offer him to, uh, to live together. They, uh, they give him gifts. Over here, they see Yitzhak's wealth. They get more upset and more upset. And eventually, Yitzhak realizes that there's a lot of anti-Semitism in Grar. He decides to leave Grar. Or, actually, he's told to leave Grar. Vayomer Avimelech el Yitzchak, Pasuk, Tedvav, Lech Me'imanu. They expel him. You're too successful. They expel him. And Yitzhak leaves. He goes to live outside. He lives not in the outskirts, either the outskirts, or most, more probably, he lives somewhere in the Vadi, outside the city, alone. Um, he's, uh, the police chief certainly don't want him. There's a good reason why Yitzhak will tell them later on when they show up, uh, all friendly and conciliatory, uh, to make this pact. Yitzhak will say to them, Madua batamelai, vatem snaitemoti, you hate me. Basically telling you anti-Semites, vetishalchunimaitchem, you expelled me and, uh, you have, you don't, you were not willing to actually live amongst you, and all of a sudden you show up now. The Yitzhak's experience is not one of close contact. Avram's experience with the police team is a paradigm of neighborly relationships, of, uh, positive interaction with the Goyim, of Goyim who respect, and are interested in Jewish success. Yitzhak is the paradigm of the guy who wants the Jew to be unsuccessful. They're jealous. First time we come across jealousy against Jews, but it's ready right over here. Uh, and then the, the expulsion and the whole attitude. Yitzhak is dealing with people who don't like him uh, and with people who are very much interested, who hate him actually, very much interested that he be unsuccessful and... Um, that, of course, it's hard not to view the fact that they stop up the wells as well. It's probably the same thing. With Abraham, they get along well. So they went to have, have a well. But uh, with Yitzchak, um, because they don't like it. They dislike Yitzchak or Jews. So they uh, they also cover and they fill in the wells. Um, now, and of course, when we read later on, Vayariv Pasuka Yudchaf, so it's true that by Avram also they, um, they they steal one of his wells. But nevertheless, when Avram complains about this Tavimelech, Tavimelech says, "Lo yadati 
Mi asadvar zevik amatalay gadatali. So it's hard to know from the distance uh, of a few thousand years how sincere he is or not. But at, ver- at the very least, klapechutz, at least diplomatically speaking, Avimelech says, if you had complained, I would have stopped. In other words, he says it was wrong. It shouldn't have been done. Had you complained, I would have solved the problem. So there, uh, at least he's cordial, he's diplomatic, and he recognizes the rights of Avram to the water. By Yitzchak, uh, there's no apology ever. Uh, they, they brazenly try to take it in broad daylight. Just to, to basically, to uh, they, they go to battle. They go to battle with them. Then That's number one. Number two, sitna. You know, this no Yitzchak doesn't cover up his feelings. So Yitzchak uh, makes it quite clear what he thinks. The guy think about him. Uh, Asik Mela, but Sitana is quite clear uh, what's going on over here. Um the as he says later on. Um in other words, uh, we can see here's a pattern which Avraham gets along with the police team and the relationships are cordial if not friendly. Yitzhak does not. Yitzhak feels hated, he feels despised, he feels they're constantly trying to steal everything he has. Uh, and this translates itself into the final act, the one of the of the, of the oath. If you go down here to number ten, um, think of covenant. There was a breed is a covenant, a pact. What does a breed mean? A breed in Tanakh is the following, right? We'll take the paradigm of of Bidvan Betarim. So Rashi says over there, what do, what does a breed mean? A covenant, it means, or the normal procedure, the ceremony of a breed, you take an animal, you slice it in half, and then you separate the two halves, and you walk uh, in the middle. You walk with, what's the idea behind it? The idea is very simple. The idea is, you have an object which physically seems to be two, because the mass has been separated into two separate sections. So you have, now there's no continuous mass. They've been separated by the fact that you've cut it in half and moved them. Um, nevertheless, if we see the right side of a cow and the left side of a cow, we are well aware that's really one cow. It's not one, it's not two objects. It's one object. If I were to take a child, uh, or if someone grew up in a desert island, he never ever saw a cow in his life, and I were to tell him, is this one object or two objects? He would assume it's two objects. Uh, you have no idea necessarily that they really, but because we know what a cow is, or to put it differently, we know what the form, in, in Aristotelian terms, uh, we know what the form of a cow is, we know what it should be. So we recognize that even though at the moment there's a physical separation, it's really one and the same. Now, uh, what is a breed? A breed means you have two people, two nations, which they seem to be two to the untrained eye. They seem to be two because they're separate. But really they're one. So the Pasuk will talk about the breed of marriage. So even though husband and wife are physically separate, physically separated, nevertheless, it's one entity. That's a breed. Two things are really one. Um, two nations. They seem to be separate territories, separate geographical locations. But really they're one. In other words, a breed means that in essence you're one, even though in appearance you seem to be two. 
Now, this what Avram is offering, and that's the Goben Abitarim, to symbolize it's really one, even though it appears to be two. This is what Avram is offering, that's the same reason why, if you remember Matan Torah, they throw half of the blood on the Mizbeach, they want to make a bridge to Amish on the Kaddish Baruch Hu. He sprinkles half of the blood on the Mizbeach, on the altar, and Chatsi Adam he sprinkles on the people, which means one and the same. In other words, when I throw the, whether, whether I sprinkle the, the blood here or there, it's really one and the same, because it's really one object, uh, symbolically. Now, this is what Abraham is offering Avimelech. He's offering him a breed. He's offering, he's not offering him a, a no aggression pact. He's offering him a covenant to be one and the same. Which is one of the, which is one of the reasons why in Chazal there's some criticism of this. So I can always say that Avram Avinu is entitled to his opinion as well, not only the Balei Medrash, but, uh, the Medrash, there's, there's some criticism because they think Avram overstepped the boundary here by offering a Brit. Um, at any rate, uh, he is, Avram is willing at that point in time, given the relationships he has with the Plishtim, he offers them a Brit. Unlike Yitzchak, Yitzchak doesn't dream of offering them a Brit. Yitzchak knows exactly who he's dealing with. Yitzhak is willing to offer them non-aggression. Or to put it differently, he offers them a shavuah. He offers them an oath. He's willing to guarantee that he won't do anything against them. They will guarantee it to him. But he won't, he won't, of course, offer a breed. So that's what you have over here. Where? Um, yeah, of course, because they the police, you want the breed. The push they want to breed, but Yitzhak doesn't want to give it to them, uh, right? He goes, uh, but that's the Temotri, so they say, oh, we can't make a breed. But, uh, well, if you look at Yitzhak says, <laughs> So it says Achiv, which is also maybe stretching it a bit, but Yitzhak's willing to offer them an oath. He's not willing to offer them a breed. They request a breed, he says, no, thank you, because he views the whole thing as uh, hypocritical. They attempt to Temotri, now you come, uh, now you come to me. Avram, though, is willing to give the Brit. I think it's not, not coincidental. In other words, uh, what you have here, to return now to Yitzhak's, uh, Yitzhak's life, repeats Avram's life, with one major difference. And that's the, uh, I'm talking here about the, his, uh, <coughs> the major difference is this, is that Avraham gets along with the Goyim, and Yitzhak doesn't. So even though, in a sense, he's repeating the same, He's doing the same things. His life is a rerun of Avraham's. He's repeating the same track of Avraham's. But the, the circumstances are changed. And basically what has to be done is the validity of Avraham's approach, or Avraham's approach has never been tested in the, in, in the circumstances in which God don't get along with you. Throughout Avraham's career, everything he's done in terms of bringing people to Keiru, bringing people close to Kodesh Baruch Hu, interacting with all the Goyim, it's always been done in very cordial terms. If Abram fights, he goes to war. But if you notice, the wars are always against external enemies. When Abram goes to Egypt, so there's this big problem with, with, with Sarah and Paro. What happens to Yitzchak and Rivka with Avimelech happens to Abram and Paro, because that's outside Israel. When there's the war in the Sodom, so the war basically is very simple. It's four external powers from the east, the best of Mesopotamian powers coming from Bavel, Elam, and the like, and attacking the local cities. There was the four invaders, intruders from the outside, who invade Eretz Israel. They're more powerful, and that's why, of course, they defeat them. And Avraham steps up to defend the local cities. So Avraham is doing battle with going from outside. 
But the local goyim, he gets along with her very well, with Melch Shdom, and, uh, and of course, to say nothing about Aner, Eshkol, Umamre. So, within, within Israel, Avram, he, later on, he has, uh, Ephron. So what's more, Ephron has an agenda, and Ephron is scheming, and, uh, there's nothing very innocent going on there. But nevertheless, Ephron and Avram get along. So I said before, I think Ephron is trying to basically, it's, it's a honey trap. He's trying to get him to assimilate, but uh, there's no hatred, there's no anti-Semitism, it's um, to getting along. And uh, so Avraham's approach has never been tested uh, in different circumstances. Yitzchak now has to go, now to establish the validity of the of, Avra, of Beit Avraham has to be tested not only under the circumstances of Avraham, has to be, you have to prove that it works under all circumstances. Not only those which are pleasant, but also under those which are harsh as well. Now, to prove that, Avra, that the whole approach is correct, or to provide the continuity, has to work under changed circumstances as well. And um, by uh, <coughs> therefore, when Yitzchak's life circumstances are changed, and he continues following Avram's footsteps, therefore that proves that this is what establishes the Yitzchak ben Avraham, what makes Avram's message a message for the generations, and not only a message for a particular generation, is the fact that Yitzchak can then apply the same message to different circumstances. So uh, even though it's the same, nevertheless, it's not quite the same. And uh, this is no less important in terms of being able to perpetuate Avraham's legacy. Um, essentially, I think I'd just like to conclude with one final uh, sentence. Um, this is an interesting observation. This is a bit uh, detached from this, but it's, uh, it's relevant to, to the topic. Um, every Rosh Hashanah, we say, by the Brachav Zichronot, Vakedat Yitzchak Lizaro Hayom Berachamim Tizkor. That, uh, if you remember the Akedah, right, throughout the generations, uh, for the benefit of, uh, Zarah, Yem Brachim Tiskok, with his mercy, should remember us uh, because of the Akedah. Now, um, that's, um, that we all say. These are, there are two, uh, there happen to be two Nuschot, what to say there. Akedat Yitzchak Lizaroh Hayom, or Akedat Yitzchak Lizaroh Shel Yaakov. Do you say, Akedat Yitzchak, only, no, you leave it generically like, excuse me, do you say, Lizaro, to his descendants without specifying, or do you specify only to Yaakov and his, uh, his lineage? Now, um, it's clear that we mean, we, we of course mean only Yaakov. No one is trying to request a mercy for Esav. We, we, we mean Yaakov. However, the reason we don't say, Lizaro Shal Yaakov, because Chazal tell us, that whenever you say, whenever you say the Zera of Yitzchak, it means automatically only Yaakov. Big Yitzchak, Yikrelecha Zera. Big Yitzchak, Velo Kol Yitzchak. Yitzchak, when you say Yitzchak, it means only those who continue his footsteps, not those who deviate, even though those who biologically are his descendants, but spiritually or not, don't count. That's, and therefore, it's superfluous to say, Zaroshel Yaakov. Nevertheless, why do certain Nuzchot say it? So there's a whole discussion in, in, in later post-scheme. There's a very interesting suggestion, uh, which is, which, uh, if I remember, it's the Magen Avram or the Chetam Sofer, both of them, to make the following suggestion, that Esav is considered, he's not considered 
Avraham's lineage, but he is considered Yitzchak's. The device says Zera Yitzchak for Avraham Avinu Esav doesn't count for Yitzchak he does. Why? Not, no, it's Esav is considered Yitzchak's descendants, but not Avraham's descendants. Why? So I think I think there's another difference of perspective here as well. It's it's, it's an intriguing suggestion um, that um, Avraham was a, Avraham was a self-made man. Avraham built himself spiritually. Therefore, Avraham, who built himself from scratch, who basically had to discover God on his own, Avraham had no patience for Esav, who walked away from uh, this achievement, which was with great difficulty achieved. Yitzchak was born at Tzaddik. He was raised by Avraham Avinu. Yitzchak, because he was raised in a good, firm household, raised properly, he was much more sympathetic to those who had problems and trouble. Avraham, because he was such a self-made man, had trouble uh, having any sympathy for an Esav who was born from and then uh, had, had, and then was unwilling to accept it. Uh, Yitzchak, that because he was he took because Yitzchak took it for granted, he was more understanding of those who had trouble. So it's, this, this, in other words, this is just um, a snippet about the about the topic. Meaning, I spoke here about the achievement of Yitzchak and Avraham as they in, in their own lives. There's another topic which requires a whole, another hour, which is how do we treat the parent, Avram, Avram as a parent and Yitzhak as a parent? Does Yitzhak follow in Avram's footsteps as a parent or there is he independent? So that I leave for future thought. We're just offering this, uh, this one suggestion. Do Yitzhak and Avram have the same kind of parenthood or do they, or is Yitzhak over there steer in a whole different course? So, Darabha, thank you very much. Um.